Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. I'm John Merton. And I'm Dean Riverman. Dean, the point of sale market, would you say it's probably big? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big. You know, point of sale, <laughs> lots of people buy stuff. It kind of keeps the whole economy going. Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah, I'd you know, say. you go to a place, you want to buy something, yeah. and somebody's got to figure out how to, like, you know, make that transaction happen. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, yeah, Pretty big yeah, for yeah. us in our world and our resellers, kind obviously. Kind of, kind of a big yeah. thing around here, no doubt about it. Yeah. Here's a couple but stats expanding. I found. It is. Well, mm-hmm. and here's a couple stats. There you really go. That. Grandview Research uh, had a 2020 survey that said the POS, first of all, the software market, Currently, or as of 2020, $9.3 billion Jeez. expected to expand to $18.1 billion by 2027. Just the software alone? Just the software side. All right. Hardware market is expected to reach $66.3 billion by 2025. That's a lot of hardware, dude. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, so lots of opportunity that's out there. Yep. Yep. But that also means there's a lot of competition. <laughs> True. <laughs> and we know that from our world, uh, yep. which is which is why we, we've brought in an expert with us today. We have uh, Jeremy Julian from CBS with us today to Got talk a about Good one today. Yep. You know the POS side of things, and and you know get into the marketing side of aspect mm-hmm. of it. How do you differentiate yourself mm-hmm. in that market yep. when there's so many solutions out there? Yep. And there's also a lot of complacency. There's a lot of retailers and you know and, and hospitality folks that mm-hmm. may be like, well, this is working fine. Yeah. Why would I make yeah. any? It's still changes? on Windows 95. It <laughs> hasn't broken yet. What, what's, what's the problem? <laughs> exactly. So so we're going to talk about what that what the market does look like right now. Why people are hesitant to change. What makes that happen? And then maybe he'll get into a little bit of you know. Not, without giving away his secret sauce yeah, about yeah. about how they kind of approach it and, and what you know where you need to look for differentiators, we'll talk about the free POS systems mm-hmm, that are out there mm-hmm. and what that full really air means. quotes again on yeah, that mm-hmm. full air quotes yes mm-hmm. definitely and maybe get into some trends in POS also that's so, yeah, a good I think one we got lots of stuff to tackle yes with sir them. yes All sir right. it's time for us to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect podcast. It's time to get connected. As I mentioned, our guest today, Jeremy Julian, is the COO for Custom Business Solutions, a.k.a. CBS. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself, your day-to-day role there at CBS. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, as, as we were talking about pre-show, it's always fun to be on this side of the mic. It's always kind of weird because, uh, as you guys know, I host my own podcast called The Restaurant Technology Guys. But uh, yeah. that's not what I get to do on a daily basis. I, I, I run a technology company that supports uh, the restaurant industry. And so we're... Uh, we're one of those VAR ISV hybrids that uh, that started as a traditional VAR selling hardware and software, you know, produced by other people, and then uh, eventually became an ISV ourselves. So for those that don't know what ISV stands for, because half the time I use these acronyms and my own team goes, what does that mean? Um, we wrote our own point of sale software about 10 years ago and have been uh, taking that to market for, like I said, about 10 years, um, really focusing on hospitality and restaurants, uh, the restaurant vertical. Nice. I love the fact that you you get both sides of it. You know, you understand yeah. the hardware side of it. You also understand the software side of it because, you know, obviously we have a lot of bars that play very well in the hardware, but they're mm-hmm. always looking to partner up on software yep. or not quite sure what to do there. Part of the reason we brought you on also, I actually you know reached out to you about joining us at Vartech for our creative marketing tactics session. Yep. Mm-hmm. James Cordy recommended you because, you know, we thought, hey, having someone on that POS perspective might help also. Jody was fantastic on the supply chain ADC side of things, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we thought, hey, you know, it's so important to understand that marketing in the world of POS is so much different yeah, and has an entirely different track because of that massive amount of, mm-hmm. you know, competition and mm-hmm. products and services that are out there right now. Yeah. So so let's start off by, from your perspective, what does the POS market look like right now? Um, I think it's gotten more convoluted uh, as time has gone on. Um, you know, and again, I know you talked about it kind of in your intro of, uh, of tech adoption and, and you know, the, the Windows 95, oh, it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, it's been interesting because the, the, there's definitely been an acceleration of people testing stuff because of COVID. Um, there's definitely been more people adopting different solutions that, quite frankly, for years, we're, we would tell them this is stuff you need to be thinking about. And, and they wouldn't. Um, but it's uh, by convoluted, I think that the, the lines have blended from what used to be traditional point of sale and what used to be e-commerce, what used to be traditional point of sale, kind of brick and mortar to the kiosk or, you know, again, uh, mobile app on your phone, who produces that software, how does it get in, third party delivery. So the amount of uh, a breadth of what a POS reseller needs to deal with, and quite frankly, a restaurant tour needs to deal with today 
has expanded exponentially and, and only accelerated with COVID. I would agree with that. I mean, we talk about the tech stack, right? In the mm-hmm. in the need to be able to walk in with a with a really kind of a full deck of of options because end users, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a retail establishment, let's focus in on restaurants are, you know, they're not immune to what's happening in the world. They're getting asked by their customers to do all kinds of things from, oh yeah, I mean, maybe traditional what we could call now loyalty programs and stuff like that to some of the innovation that's happening on curbside and and being able to enable uh, checks and stuff. It just a lot is happening in the space so having a having that tech stack you know kind of lined up is critical and what i love about uh north star or cbs uh, north star is that you guys have a lot of different partnerships as well i mean i know you mentioned that you developed your own software 10 years ago but just a quick peruse of your site you guys have a lot of great partnerships to enable your tech stack right so that you can enable right what's happening there so that partnering is is critical phase of where we're at right now well, and I, I think um, I think so much of it's driven by consumer demand with the restaurant tours. So consumers are expecting to be able to to jump on their phone and order a pizza on their way home. You know, some of the biggest of the big, the Domino's, the Pizza Huts, the you know those guys have 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 paved the way. The Starbucks of the world, Chick Fil A. I think you guys are probably you know those are kind of the 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 de facto that everybody's trying to chase. And then you get the small to medium sized brands that 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 can't compete with that unless they have an offering that's very similar. And so. We, as a partner, and we'll get into it in a little bit on kind of how we sell and how do we market to our customers, but um, but really meeting not only the consumer demands, but then that restaurateur is saying, I'm missing out on sales, or we're educating them into a place that says, you're missing out on the opportunity to talk with your guests, whether it's loyalty, whether it's online ordering, whether it's third-party delivery, whether it's any of these different different modalities that 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 are that are coming through and quite frankly have been around for a significant amount of time. You know, 10 years ago, you probably found 50% of the restaurants in your town didn't even have a website. Um, now you, you you would laugh if they didn't have a website and if they didn't have a, a Google profile and they, if they didn't have a Yelp profile and if they didn't have somebody managing that, you would you would you would chuckle. You know, now it's kind of, you know, the, they've got to be on those third party delivery platforms, whether they partnered with a single one or they partnered with multiples, they've got to be on those third party delivery platforms because there's there's times even five years ago when they came out, um, you know, I got introduced to DoorDash six and a half years ago. We've got a six-year-old and somebody sent us a DoorDash uh, gift card. And at the time we were like, what in the world is this DoorDash thing? And quite frankly, I didn't even know what it was. Um, ended up ordering through DoorDash and, and now, you know, you guys chuckle about it, but but you would be remiss to not even realize that that's a thing out there. But six years ago, it didn't exist. And now every single brand needs to have some presence on that. And so um, I know I kind of kind of riffed for a little while there, but I think that that's it's a lot of it's driven by consumer demand. And if you don't meet where the consumers are going to be, then you can't you can't sell food and you can't sell you know retail items to those consumers because they expect it from the from from everyone. Even though these big brands have million dollar budgets to go roll out you know something as small as as uh, you know a, 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 an update to their app. Yeah. That's a really good point, Jeremy. Sorry, just to, because I, I think just to throw in there, if if it's an establishment that's still around now, you know, that has made it through, you know, what we have gone through with the pandemic, they are they are already adjusting to the need to have some of these new uh, items, you know, as a part of the point of sale or as a part of their business, as a part of the environment that their customers are, the whole customer experience that we talk about. So it's that adaptation thing, I think, Jeremy, that you were touching on that, yeah, we're starting to see that a lot more, right? Right, There's right. just the need to adopt a lot of this newness or at least kick the tires, figure out how that's going to work in their world. Uh, I can't imagine there's a lot of questions around that. Part. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I, I appreciate the fact that you mentioned that, hey, you know, a few years back, you were probably telling folks, hey, you might want to pay attention to this whole, you know, online delivery thing <laughs> yeah. and other options for, you know, delivering your food and getting food to people and other places that they can pay. And they were, and I'm sure there were plenty of people that frustrating, like, nah, nah, we're fine, we're good, we're good. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic, they're all running to you and you're like, oh, yeah, see, look what you're doing now. Yeah. So, you know, you've kind of hit on that a little bit here. Obviously, there was a, a clear demand that drove a lot of change over the last couple of years. So what about the hesitancy part of it, though? Like before all of this, you know, when they you know, when they didn't have something forcing them to make these changes, why were so many, you know, especially restaurants and retailers so hesitant to make changes to their point of sale, to make any kind of upgrades, to accept what you were telling them was coming, whether they want whether they like it or want to hear about it or not? Why are they so hesitant about that? Uh, it's funny you asked that question because I was recording a podcast on Friday with a restaurant tour and I asked that specific question. I said, why now and why not then? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, there, there, there's a two-part answer that I, I consistently hear from our clients. And I think prior to that, 
um, prior to to the forcing of these things, there was there. If if either one of you guys have ever worked in a restaurant, it's low margins, it's long hours. You're working really hard for little money. You're doing it for the love of hospitality, and quite frankly, you don't have capacity to go look at all of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and again, especially if you're not digital native, if you came up in a in a in an era where you know, you make good food, you deliver it on time, you, you deliver it with a smile, people keep coming back. Um, so I think that that was probably the biggest thing prior to the pandemic. The second is, is and, I, and I think you guys live this world, is there's a lot of ISVs that make a lot of promises, but don't actually deliver on the business proposition that mm-hmm. they may have sold. And so I think there's a lot of people that are reluctant to jump into new tech until, you know, it, you look at the adoption curve and you kind of have those people that are, you know, the, 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 the first, you know, 10%, you know, the, the really early, super early adopters and then the early adopters and then the, the early majority and then the late majority, most restaurateurs kind of, kind of in that bulk. And, and if you can't get out of the initial, you know, that initial, initial phase. And I, I remember having many, many arguments with CFOs and CTOs early in the days of third-party delivery of, of you've got to figure out how to do this well, well, well prior to the pandemic because, and, and they would argue with me, oh, they're taking so much of a percentage of our profits and blah, 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 blah. We'd have these dialogues and I'm like, but if you understand that you, you've you got certain fixed costs within your restaurant, you've got to pay rent, you've got to pay food costs, you've got to have you know certain things to, to open the doors. How do you increase four-wall economics is kind of the, the phrase that I that I had um, dubbed on my podcast is how do you increase the, the economics within the four walls of your business so that you can utilize the space to be able to get and, and now you see things like ghost kitchens and you know Chili's has rolled out the, this wing concept and they're they're doing 250 million dollars a year in in wings out the back of a Chili's after they already have it paid for through the Chili's brand and so um, I, again I, I have a tendency to, to ramble and I apologize but uh, but I think it's important for our, our listeners to understand that this is why and your job as a VAR, your job as a, as a solution provider is to really help them understand this and overcome these, these objections. Let's dive a little bit in one area there, Jeremy, that you touched on. It's the it's the whole, you know, when the, when the pandemic first hit, and, and right, I think you're dead on about wh- what adaptation was looking like, you know, prior to that, very slow, people had all kinds of reasons to say no, but pandemic hits and boom, it's like DoorDash, Uber Eats, uh, you know, they couldn't expand fast enough, right. you know, if they wanted to stay in business, they had to just bite the bullet and do that. Uh, some of them begrudgingly, right, because right. of the high price of doing business with a DoorDash. So, are you starting to see a little bit of a sway back? You know, I know that you guys have an online component of your uh, software. So are you starting to see some restaurateurs saying, you know what? Okay, we got the Uber Eats thing. We got the whatever, uh, the DoorDash going. But we want to amp up our online presence so that we can have control that customer experience, number one, a little bit better through online. And number two, enable them to do at least takeout ordering uh, through the online experience. Maybe not delivering it to their door, but the, but the takeout. Let's dive a little bit there. What are you seeing, Jeremy, there? Um, absolutely. And I think, I think it, um, some of it comes back down to brand size, you know, some of our largest brands, they just want it to go through one channel, but they've negotiated down, you know, um, their rates so low with these third party delivery aggregators that they're fine to just, you know, th- it's going to cost them almost the same to do it, do it native versus, but most of the mid-sized to smaller operators are trying to drive, um, drive people towards their own site because the, the cost is lower, especially for takeout. Um, and again, we'll talk about it when we get into some of the future thoughts that I have, but they're definitely doing that because I, the other piece that I think, um, uh, and not to, not to, not to uh, bury the lead, but I think we're going to see a next level of innovation where figuring out who the consumer is, because right now when you're with third-party delivery, you don't know who your consumer is as a restaurant brand. They own that customer data. And so restaurants getting first-party information about who's dining with them is going to be critical to their success going forward. And, and I think uh, they're going to need to be able to communicate communicate with those people. And, and I think it's a, it's a huge piece, but absolutely. And, and again, our early adopted tech companies all had their own website, either using our, our product or some other third-party that they could get the data. Um, and they started there, and, and then they kind of were able to, to uh, you know, embrace the the third-party delivery marketplaces like uh like doordash and grubhub and, and uber eats yeah yeah i think there's such an important message there too about 
once you've given customers something that they like, mm -hmm. not trying to dial it back and pull it back away from them or think that you're going to be able to just step back. And, and I've kind of, I feel like I've seen this lately where, mm -hmm. you know, we got comfortable with the whole door dashing and, and mm -hmm. you know, my wife and I love that, you know, it's mm -hmm. better any day at the end of a long day than having to pack up a four-year-old in the car and <laughs> try to go out to a restaurant and eat there and hope that he's in a good mood right. and, yeah. and that it's a pleasant evening, all that stuff. Why would we do that when we can just have the same kind of food, the same relative quality of food uh -huh. delivered at our door? Right. But I have also feel like I have noticed in the last few months or so especially as, you know, all these restaurants have reopened and they're trying to drive people inside again. I feel like sometimes, and this is not a lot of rest, not all of them, but a few restaurants, like the quality of what you're getting on the delivery side has suddenly started declining, mm. where it seems like it's taking longer for them to get the food. Mm -hmm. It's getting to you. It's been packaged badly. It's not as tightly packaged mm -hmm. and as thoughtfully done as it was before. Mm -hmm. You know, orders are kind of messed up a little bit more. It's a little more sloppy than it was. Mm. And I kind of start to wonder, like, is this because on their end, they're thinking, well, hey, I've got customers here again. That's what I'm concerned about, this delivery thing, whatever. I'll just throw stuff in there and they're not going to come here and complain about it that is obviously God, an not. absolutely wrong mentality yeah, right, and yeah. i'm gonna assume that most restaurants aren't necessarily doing that yeah. but i wouldn't be surprised if there's a few you know that may be thinking to themselves well you know whatever it's you know this isn't the important part of our business anymore mm. it still is because people still want that and you are losing a lot of potential oh, yeah. revenue if you're not still catering to those customers who've who found this out and decided hey this is my preferred way to mm -hmm. get food now mm -hmm. right right yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll give you guys a true story from my own family. Um, any anybody that knows me knows I talk about my family and my kids a lot because I got four kids and and so life is full at home. But um, there was my my oldest son's favorite restaurant um, before we moved out of Southern California. Um, we used to go there often. But but one of the big challenges that that um, that restaurants faced is when the majority of your clients, eighty plus percent of your clients, were walking in the door to to either order takeout or stand in line and 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 go through the line go through the queue to get their food or or you know this sitting at the host stand to wait to get a table you knew what the expectations were when you walked into a busy restaurant you knew it was going to be slow unfortunately when you get to digital there is no line of sight for the restaurant as to what's coming in or for the guest mm -hmm. and so to, to your point john like what what you expect that level and when it was all focused only on you know takeout and, and delivery it was easy. When I was only focused on dine-in, it was easy. Try and blend those two and try and staff for it. Try and um, manage your, your expectations. Try and manage your ticket times. You you don't have a throttle. There's a throttle when you have a 150-seat restaurant. The throttle is, I only have 150 people there. I can only have 150 right. people ordering food at any one time, but, but the host hand manages that. And over 50, 75 years that we've had sit-down dining, they've been able to manage the timing on that. When you open it up to digital, and, and I think very similar in the retail world, how many times have you guys gone on and, and something's out of stock? You know, mm -hmm. you go to order something, and, and again, supply chain challenges even more so now, but you go on and you're like, oh, I used to really get this in a day. And now it's not there because they can't forecast those things. It, it, it truly is the, the hard part. And, and that story, we won't go back to that brand because we had two terrible experiences. We stood in line, we waited, and me as a restaurant tech guy realized that they had gotten overwhelmed with digital orders and their kitchen couldn't produce our food because we were the 50th or 60th order for that kitchen to produce, even though we're standing there. Even though we're standing in this fast casual restaurant waiting for our food, we will not go back to that brand. I personally love it. So when I go back to Southern California, I will go back without my wife and kids. But um, but absolutely, it is a challenge that, that restaurant tours are going to need to need to face, especially as consumers and guests are looking to interact with your brand in the way that they want to interact with it, not the way the brand wants to interact with it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think some of it comes down to staffing. You know, you, yeah, oh, you hear yeah. about that. And in, in, in to Jeremy's point, though, I mean, when you think about it, you know, if they if the restaurant was originally conceived to just be a dine in only, then now they've pivoted to use that overused word to enable, you know, online right, right. pickup, curbside, all this other stuff. Well, and now that everything's kind of coming back, you know, you just have this perfect storm and, and not enough labor to facilitate. Yep, yep. It's like, 
oh man, they can't catch a break yeah. on I, that. I, but I, they're I, trying to respond to it in exactly. a long way. Exactly. And right. you do make a good point. Like I do need to be a little more of a conscious consumer sometimes to realize, you know, that yeah, when I place right. my order. And granted, you know, you typically get the whole like this is how long it's going to take for you to get your order. Although I feel like that tends to like go back and forth and fluctuate all over the place. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like watching your DoorDasher on the little map and seeing them go and deliver to five <laughs> other places before they come to you. And like, great, I can't wait for my food hey, to be the last hey, one delivered. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Why am I not the first stop along the way? Exactly. Uh, so I get for being the farthest away, I guess, from all the, the all the restaurants. You know, but, but but on that point, you know, the technology because I think on well, it feels like in DoorDash, it there is that filter, that throttle. You know, like if I'm trying to order for and it says, look, this is going to take sixty minutes, right, or, right, or ninety minutes. Oh, cancel order, go on to someone else right, that right. might be able to to handle that. And I've seen restaurants, you know, that utilize that. I, I think there's a throttle button that they can like pause orders for for a little mm-hmm. while uh so that they can do a little bit of a catch-up right, we have a right. we have a local restaurant sense. called skyline chili uh, that i think they enabled you know um uber eats or something like that but they have the ability to throttle it because if they're just slammed they can't you know turn right, it off right yeah. and i've heard them say turn it off you know we, we don't have <laughs> we can't we can't do it right now but anyway yeah. Okay. But that, but that does take to to your point earlier, Dean. That does take technology integration. That does take a somebody to help them get that integrated with their point of sale and their kitchen management system. Because if the if it's not integrated and it's on a tablet, they really have a the throttle is on or off. Like there yep. is no predictive analytics of how many orders are in the kitchen. You know, these third party delivery companies are are tech companies first, really. And so mm-hmm. they're getting to a place where they start to see what the orders are looking like coming in and out of the properties. And they're starting to use predictive analytics, not, hey, you know, this this chili place, Skyline Chili tells you it's going to be 20 minutes, but DoorDash knows really it's going to be 26 minutes to get the mm-hmm. food because they've seen it come in and out and they've watched the DoorDasher sit there and wait for six minutes. They've got to figure out how, how to be more efficient when you've got the tech integrated to, to integrate with the, with the kitchen management system and the point of sale. That makes it easier for these tech companies to really deliver on the guest experience that you guys are talking about. Yeah, nice. That's a very good point. Well, then let's let's get into a little bit of, like I said, without giving away your secret sauce, let's talk a little bit about how CBS, you know, approaches when it comes to to, to the marketing and to going out and pitching solutions and positioning yourselves. You know, where do you find differentiators? What helps you kind of overcome the complacency, the the competition, uh, the folks that are just saying, "Hey, I don't know, this is the the right time for me to do this," or "I've I've already got this thing that I've been using forever," or "I've got six other companies that are beating on my door and trying to tell me the same thing as you." How do you differentiate and stand out from that? So I, the first thing I would say, and and James and I talked about this on a previous podcast, you know, I don't know, maybe a year ago. Um, uh, the biggest thing for us is understanding who our customer is and who's our customer avatar and talking to the right customer, whether that be the person inside the brand or being able to have a value proposition that meets the customer that we're looking for. And I think all too often when I talk with bars that, that you know, are out there, they will take a dollar from anybody that will give it to them. They don't really understand who their, who their core customer is. And so because they don't understand who their core customer is, their value proposition is weaker because they just become part of the me too you know, I can do everything that, that everybody else does rather than differentiating yourself and saying, this is what makes us special. This is what, change, you know, and I, and, and I would say, hearken it back to the restaurants. If you guys were to, to, to think about those same, those same things, why do you go to XYZ restaurant? I promise you, if I said Cheesecake Factory, either you guys, you guys come up with two items that you order at Cheesecake Factory every single time and you go, okay, this is what I'm going to order from Cheesecake Factory. If I, you know, go down to the next brand, if I'm going to Chili's, if I'm going to Applebee's, what are those things that you're going to order? And when you tell your kids or you tell your wife, hey, do you want to go to Cheesecake Factory? She thinks in her head, do I want chicken Madeira or do I want the Chinese chicken salad? And if I don't want one of those two things, then I'm not going to go there. Us as, as VARs, we need to have that same value proposition that says, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we do it. And so um, the second piece that I would say is, is, is all too often brands want to talk about themselves. Um, all too often, VARs want to talk about themselves rather than talking about the customer. And what does the customer need? And so a number of years ago, I was introduced to the um, to Donald Miller and the StoryBrand workshop. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, with StoryBranding, but uh, he's an author and, and runs a marketing agency in Nashville. But he's got this whole seven-part framework that's that's really all about making the customer the hero of the story. You're not the hero of the story. And if you look at people's websites, if you look at people's marketing, if you look at people's messaging, it's all about me, 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 feature, 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 function, function, function. It's not, let me show you. But then you go out to these consumer brands, you you hardly ever see on a Bud Light commercial, Bud Light, you see a lady, you know, laying on the beach, or you see a dude playing football, or you see friends 
accelerating together because it's all about the consumer, not about the the, the quality of how good Bud Light is or whatever. And so um, those would be the two things that I would say are critical is understand who your customer is and then make them the hero of the story by giving them messaging, giving them branding, understanding what their needs are at a base level and how you can help them accomplish them. Um, that, that's what differentiates what and how we do our marketing and how we do our sales and, and how we really engage with our customers. Bingo. I mean, when we talk about marketing that we help our customers out with right through our appware solutions and user demand generation, it's all about getting niche uh, on that and trying to boil it down. So everything that he just talked about, focus, differentiation, you know, having a story around that, uh, that is exactly how you can market yourself and make a difference in the marketplace yep. is by doing some of those very simple techniques, uh, plus a little selling 101 that he threw in there, right, right. you know about getting to understand your customer and and it's more about them than you and those types of things in solution selling you know we talk about it as resellers all the time but you actually have to live it and do it and and put it into action and marketing can obviously be that first step a lot of times yeah definitely you know you mentioned earlier jeremy the idea that um some of the software companies out there that you know, may not be able to back up their service or their their offerings or the expectations mm -hmm. that they set. And mm -hmm. we've come across that when we've had some, you know, some folks approaches about marketing and we'll ask about their, you know, especially, I think especially as happens a lot in POS where we'll ask about like, well, what's the differentiator of your marketing mm -hmm. like, or, or of your product compared to other POS that are out there? And ultimately, we kind of find out eventually, like, oh, this POS is just a standard POS that can be used in dozens of different places. But we're going to target this market and just shoehorn it in there and give it a tweak of a name and say, here's some things that it can do for that particular market. Like, mm -hmm. that's all well and good, but that doesn't differentiate anything. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. are just another POS as far as anyone who reads up on you or, or comes to you is, con is concerned. Mm -hmm. And and again, yeah, if, if you're able to go to somebody and say, okay, um, I'm a POS provider for hardware retail stores. Maybe you have mm -hmm. a couple other brands you too, but there's a big message you can say, like, I have hardware POS. I call it like, I don't know, nails POS or something like that, you know, <laughs> like, and you're able to say like, I, here's the things that we do in our POS that are specific to hardware stores, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, specific item skew tracking, specific, you know, inventory management piece of, or, or whatever yeah, right. it may be, you know, uh, you know, specifics about, you know, weight and, you know, whatever it might be. But there's, if there's ways that you can tell somebody and say, Hey, I know you, I know your business. I know what you struggle with. I know what a run of the mill POS system does and doesn't do for you. Here's what I'm going to do for you with mine because it's about you. Just exactly what you said. You are the star of the show. This is all about you. So mm -hmm. I love that. Well, and and, and I'll, I guess I'll add to that. 25 years ago when I started with the organization, um, you know, we would sell point of sale to lots of different lots of different verticals. We would sell the grocery store. We would sell the liquor store. We would sell the, you know, and it was, I mean, 25 years ago, it was mostly cash registers and, you know, some basic point of sale functionality. But, um, but you know, a, a number of years ago, we started both seeing traction and quite frankly, and you can tell by my waistline, I enjoy going out to eat at restaurants. And so I preferred that vertical. And so we, we you know, my father, who, who was the founder and, and uh, you know, the founder of the organization said, you know what, let's go just focus and, and we're going to burn the ships and all we're going to do is go after restaurants because we're going to become the best in the world at restaurants. And and even some of our marketing tactics and, and you know, we branded, you know, cruise ship POS and, and nightclub POS and, and to, to exactly what you're talking about. And if you were to go to cruiseshippos.com, it's going to direct you back to our North Star site because we know that we do really well with Norwegian Cruise Lines and we're trying to get into that that vertical. And so we've created a microsite that really redirects you back to the main, you know, has some marketing and specific branding specific to that, to that vertical didn't cost us, but, but a, a few small dollars to put together some graphics and, and get a couple of value statements on that. And then it directs you back to the main site. But, you know, I, I heard, I mean, I actually heard, uh, heard, heard Mark say this years ago is, you know, the riches are in the niches. And I know you guys believe that um, to that level. And I think the more specific you can get, to talk that value proposition, the better off the bars will be. Because if you walk in with a Me Too solution, not only is it going to not be, you're not going to get as as much traction, but you're also not going to be able to make it as profitable. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to to monetize that account as much 
because you're not as specialized as you, as you might be otherwise. That's it. I mean, if you can tell a story that you, you know, specialize in Mexican restaurants or whatever, you know, you or Italian restaurants and, mm. and build a differentiating value around that, even if you, even if you supply other restaurants, that's cool, but, but you have to have the story and you have to live in the customer's shoes, understand what they're going through, have a value proposition that matches that. You can then differentiate yourself, number one, and then monetize that differentiation, number two, uh, because they will see that they being the your potential prospects will see the value in that if the value is truly there, yep. not just yep. veiled, you know, not just, it's gotta be meaningful <laughs> stuff the, right, that you're right. doing there, but uh, because people can sniff that out as well, but that's the way to attack it. Yep. I yep. agree. So then, you know, what about the, the free, and I'm putting my quote fingers yep. up Full again air quotes here. Again. Yeah, yep. air quotes, mm -hmm. The free POS systems, because you'll, you'll come across some of these, it, it might be a software provider, uh, who says, you know, sign up with us, our software is free, um, and you just have to buy some hardware with it, or or payment processor, like, hey, sign on with us, and we'll give you the whole POS system for free right along with it. But, you know, what do you have to say about those when, when because I'm sure you have customers that you go out and you're talking to, and they say, oh, well, I just came across this free system I can get as long as I just sign up with this payment processor, or as long as I, you know, buy this cash drawer or something. What do you have to say to those? So, um I will say we run into it less and less as time goes on because I think there's been a lot of education about it out there. But um, and and back to our niche market, we try and go up market to those people that have kind of either been burned by those free POSs before or or they're not there. But what I tell our sales team or anybody that kind of comes to me is trying to understand the free POS market is clearly nothing is free in this world. They've got to figure out how to monetize it somehow. And so how are they monetizing it and and getting to the bottom line of what does it look like? What is the TCO over three and five years, total cost of ownership? We've got TCO calculators. If you put in, you know, you put in XPOS, and I'm not going to use brand names because it doesn't add any value to the conversation. But if I put in XYZ point of sale, what is it going to look like um, over three and five years at this rate at your transaction volume? The majority of them are tied to some form of credit card processing because they're monetizing it through that credit card processing. And so looking at it and saying, what is this? You know, what does your business need? And how do we help show you? that with this solution over three years, you might pay more upfront, but over three years and over five years, you're gonna have a significantly uh, larger cost savings and or a revenue increase based on what the CCO calculator is that we've built to show them that. And 99 times out of 100, you get the customer that says, I get it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I will say that we lost to a free POS recently on a, on a relatively large chain, relatively unsophisticated buyer. Um, and a large chain being 130, 140 restaurants, all franchise. Um, and so because it was all franchise, it turned into this conversation of I'm a franchisor and I don't really want to fight with them to have to spend 10 grand on your point of sale. You've got to do this. And, and you know, we chalked it up to hey, their contracts, 36 months. Guess what? And in, in 30 months, we'll be talking to them again because their contract will be ending. And they're going to come back and realize that free POS wasn't really free. And hopefully they're not so ingrained in that in that company and in that culture that we can win them back with kind of that secondary value proposition that, that we talked about. I, you know, I love that particular attitude of understanding, like, look, you're doing this now. I'm not going to burn a bridge here. I'm not going to be upset that you chose this free POS. I'm just going to make note that when when it's when the time is coming, I'm going to come back at some point and have a chat with you. And I'm curious, you know, how it's going for you. And you can, I think you could even position like that. You could mention that in the conversation, be like, hey, that's fine. Sorry, we didn't get your business. Uh, but, you know, I would love to check back in with you sometime and find out how things are going with this mm, particular sure, solution that you chose. Yeah. There's no reason you can't do that. And and I think if you have that kind of positive attitude of like, hey, I lost this time, but I'm still going to try to win your business in the future. I'll see you in, you know, like you said, 30 months and come back and, and have a conversation about that because you probably know in the back of your mind, you're probably not going to be happy when I show back up again. There's going to be things that you're yeah. not happy about. Yeah. Well, and it's good to hear Jeremy saying that maybe that's kind of diminishing a little bit, you know, this, right. this free... Yeah. Uh, POS out there because look, you know, restaurateurs are, are are business savvy people. They understand bottom lines. They understand profits, and 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 maybe you can fool them once, uh, kind of a thing. But I don't think that that's a long term strategy. And they understand the economics around running their business very very well. Yep. So um, yeah. So hopefully that'll that'll diminish because at the end of the road there is no free lunch, right? And that's when we right, all know absolutely. these things, it's, it's not free. Somebody's <laughs> yes. paying for it somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Well, hey, let's wrap up this main conversation with a quick uh you know and, and again a lot of 
a lot of trends, a lot of things have happened over the last couple of years now that obviously have shaken up everything about POS. But are there any, Jeremy, that you're watching right now that, that you still think are to come that we're not quite there yet or are starting to slowly evolve and happen that you think might shake things up over the next few years? Um, I think over the next few years, there's, there's three main things that I would say that are going to continue to proliferate the restaurant tech vertical and quite frankly, all tech verticals as it relates to retail is, is, the, is the adoption of mobile and being mobile, whether that mobile is the, the, the staff member in a retail outlet or, or a restaurant being table side or, you know, walking around the store with you and being able to do, do lookups on inventory or, or whatnot. And I, I, I know you guys live that world every day at Blue Star. So I think that that's something that, that is absolutely going to continue to proliferate. Hardware manufacturers continue to come out with new, new devices allow you the opportunity to, to do that. Um, the second is, and, I, and I, I brought it up earlier, I think understanding who your consumer is and being able to use the data that they give you now to be able to speak to them more relevantly. Right now, today, restaurants don't speak to us the way that we that Amazon and Google speak to us and Facebook speak to us. I promise you your Google feed and your Amazon feed and your is very different than your wife's um, because they know who who's logged in, they know what your wife is shopping for, they know what you're shopping for, and they know when you need it, why you need it. Um, and restaurants, you know, don't do that today. Um, you know that they don't do that today. And I think that the whether it's machine learning or AI and 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 all of that is going to become something over the next three to five years that everyone is going to again come to expect. Um, and then the last, um, you guys may have seen the press uh, this week, but um, I think robotics is going to really make a push. You talked about the labor problems. Um, mm -hmm. Buffalo Wild Wings just earlier this week announced that they now have a robotic fryer to where, you know, and McDonald's has been doing it for a while and some of these big guys. And so as these big guys adopt it and, and figure it out, it's going to come down to the mid and, and lower tier market. And so I think those are three things that will continue to, to, to influence what's going on within the retail and um, retail and restaurant space and grocery space for that matter um, every day, um, every day. And I think it's going to just continue to, to accelerate you know, Moore's law with, with processing is going to be that way. And I quite frankly think the same thing is going to happen as it relates to these kinds of tech adoption. Yeah, well, let's dive a little bit on the robot side there, because we always like to get geeky on robots <laughs> right, here. Yeah. So it's that cobot technology, I think, that we're starting to see mm -hmm. in the back of the house, mm -hmm. where maybe the robots are going to be used for the mon what I'll call the mundane task, mm -hmm. the fryer. Mm -hmm. Did you say it's a fryer robot that they're rolling it up? Is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Buffalo Wild Wings is testing, you know, drop the drop the wings, drop the fries into the fryer. Yep. They figure out where they are, they shake them up, and they pull them out. Yep. Use the human oh, yeah. resources on how, you know, what it looks like when before it hits the customer or putting it together uh, and doing those types of things things that that's really interesting i also read some articles even front of house you know doing table cleaning and stuff like that maybe you would see some automation there so that the servers can spend a little bit more time on the customer experience mm -hmm. and the human interaction and less time on you know uh sanitizing and, and those types of things so maybe we'll see some robotics front of house too you think jeremy absolutely absolutely and i think i think some of those mundane tasks of, of whether it be cleaning or it be even um, I mean, one of the one of the pieces of AI that that we've been we've been playing with a little bit is it, it solves kind of the, the the problem that we talked about earlier with your food quality, is even robotics and and you know um, machine learning and and um, cameras to make sure that when you said I wanted buffalo wings with ranch that they didn't put blue cheese or they didn't put Italian dressing into into your box that, that that's the this idea that you know food quality you know, is is going to use robotics to figure those things out and AI and machine learning and, and these computers, figuring out where guests are and how long they're staying. You know, that's another piece of tech that we've been playing with is to figure out who's coming in the door, when are they coming in the door, you know, back to back to the conversation about how do you staff and when do you staff. Um, but I but I wholeheartedly believe that it will hit the front of the house. And um, and I think that it'll be more autonomous that that the systems that are that are deployed to these retail establishments are going to say, there's a spill on aisle three before before somebody comes to tell the front of the grocery store that there's a spill on aisle three. They're gonna see it. They're gonna alert a, a staff member to go go clean this up instantly before it has to impact the guest experience. Yeah, I like where you're going there because I'm gonna dive a little bit on one of the fails that I think does happen with door or door dashing or deliveries to home mm -hmm. is accuracy of your order. Mm -hmm. So you know, yes, of course, we're all door dashing, we're all doing Uber Eats, but I have to, you know, not to throw a complaint on there, but I feel like four out of the last five orders that I've done, they've missed yep. something. Yep. So quality yep. control. And then I was and looking. You can't on, just go walking back up to the counter and complain. You can't. You, know? you can't log onto yeah. the app and say, hey, they they gave me Italian instead of ranch dressing. Right, or whatever, right. right? Yeah. 
It, well, it is 100%. The last three customer conferences I've been to, um, you know, now that we're actually able to travel again, people actually want to see you in person. I've gone to three customer conferences. It was the number one thing that they were trying to figure out within these brands. Two casual dining brands and one fast casual brand. Unequivocally, number one topic that they were talking about is how do we ensure the food quality that goes out the door? Because you can't fix the gas when it gets delivered to their house. You know, to what you just said, Dean, yep. you, you know, the ranch versus Italian or napkins didn't show up or forks and knives didn't show up when it got delivered to your office or, or to some park where you're, you're supposed to be having a picnic with your wife. If you don't fork some knives, I mean, I, I, I literally ate some food with, with my hands one time because they didn't deliver the forks and knives with it when I got it for takeout. It was ridiculous. It was a, it was a burrito enchilada style. And I'm like, I said to my wife, I said, this is going to be the messiest burrito I've ever eaten because they didn't deliver forks and knives, but I was 10 minutes away from the restaurant. I wasn't going to drive back to the market or to the restaurant to go get the food. I and mean, by that point, it would have been cold and disgusting. So um, yeah. it, it is the number one thing. And so trying to figure out how to do that quality check, how to make sure that the right items are in the bag. You know, they're trying to take some drive-through technology. I mean, that's one of the things that I know everybody's dealing with is how do I get more capacity through my drive-through? You guys have seen Chick-fil-A and all these people adopt the two-lane drive-throughs. But but I think, you know, um, some of these some of these large brands that have, have drive-through have looked at these pieces of technology that says there should be four items in the bag and what are they and, and, and whatnot. But I do think that tech is going to play a huge part in figuring that out for these restaurant brands coming into the future. I would agree with that. I think yep. that if somebody can figure out that puzzle, the, the little quality control station or whatever it looks like, I don't know. But before it goes out the door, it's got to go by this AI thingamabob yep. <laughs> that's going to quality check it. And I thought you guys were getting really close to it, uh, Jeremy, because I'm on I'm on the CBS site. I love your recipe viewer, by the way, which I, I don't know if that's holistically unique to you, but it's the first time I've ever seen something like this. So let's talk a little bit about some of the technology that's happened back in a house too. You know, it, this is a back of house house kind of solution where you, uh, if I understand it correctly, can bring continuity to recipes or how things are done amongst a chain. So if there's like a slight tweak to a recipe or something new yep. is rolling out, how do I roll that out to five different stores, 10 different stores, 100 different stores? You can use something like this. I mean, yes, I worked in restaurants, you know, coming up through high school and college and whatnot. And I can remember it was a pizzeria and, and it was rare that there would be, you know, changes, but they did happen. Right, right. You know, oh, no, we're making the hoagie this way now. And right. then we'd have to go to training and there's this whole thing around it or as, as opposed to something like this so even back a house right jeremy there's there's technology advances as we were just talking about the ai quality check maybe someday but you guys are on top of it too with the recipe viewer yeah no and recipe viewer was really a solution um that that was originated with a conversation back to how do we sell and how do we how do we engage with our customers we were having a meeting with the cio of the cheesecake factory when there were 40 stores they happen to be a client of ours. They were 40 stores are now over 200, um, 200 locations nationwide. And now they've hit, you know, six different countries outside of the US. But um, they had a challenge where they had a recipe book. And if any of you guys have been to Cheesecake Factory, you know that their, their menu is 40 pages long and they've mm -hmm. got about 250 menu items. And so how do I create consistency across an entire country or across the entire world for this, this matter? Because everything that they do is made in in-house. It's scratch kitchens. And so they had a situation where every morning, the, the, the cooks would go to the safe and check the check the recipe book out and they'd sit in their station and make the recipes. And the CIO came to us and said, ah, oh, this is what I'm thinking about. I'm going to go deploy the solution. And over a weekend, we built a prototype of recipe viewer. And ultimately, that's what launched it because they had 40 stores and they were having problems where a chef had stolen the recipe book. He had yeah. stolen the recipe book and go try to start, you know, the, the you know, the, 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 you know, the Cheesecake Factory Light, you know, his own brand of it using their recipes that they had spent tens of thousands of dollars to build. Um, we've got another brand here down here in Texas, um, uh, the Pappas Restaurant Group, very similar, very similar story. Papa, you know, Papacitas had somebody took a recipe book from them. And so it's secure behind a secure portal, but you also allow them to at a, at a moment's notice, go change your recipe. You've got the spinach scare The you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had the onion salmonella thing. They can mm -hmm. change the recipe on the fly across all 250 stores in an instant and everybody's now updated and no different than if i were to ask you guys 20 years ago how many phone numbers did you remember chances are you probably had 10 or 15 phone numbers you remember now if i ask you if you even know your kid's phone number or your your wife's phone number nope. chances are you might have to think about it for a little bit because you can look it up and once we deployed recipe viewer and you didn't have to remember it the consistency went up almost instantaneously because now instead of remembering how many how many pepperoni are you supposed to be on this 12 or 13. Instead of having to remember it, you just look up at the screen and it's right there in your face to be able to deploy those things. And so between security, consistency, 
and scalability. Um, again, I, I, I get on my soapbox here for a little bit, but <laughs> but huge to create that consistency. And, and it solves a real business challenge of how do I create consistency across the chain to make sure that everybody's doing it the same way. Lastly is turnover. Turnover is, is typically over 100% within a restaurant brand. Um, and cooks are the hardest right now. I mean, I've, I've heard of some of our customers that have given $20,000 bonuses to get hooks, cooks to come in. $20,000 to somebody that's making 50 grand, like just to have them come work at their brand because they can't even hire staff. You've got this consistent turnover. And so now how do you train these people and get them up, up to speed almost instantaneously? There's very little training because if you can read and you can look at pictures, you can use Rescue Gear. So you need to know your tech stack, yeah, right? Definitely. You need to know what's out there. It's not just front of house, which is I know where we began the conversation right, right. around POS. Sorry to diverge no, 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 a little bit fine. because you know the back of house is important too. Yep. And I just think as solution resellers, which our customer base is, you you, ha you have to know what's going on in the, in the marketplace and the need for these types of technologies. Jeremy's talked about, and thank you for that. I mean, it's you know some brilliant things like Recipe Viewer. Are just to me, it's like duh, no brainer. Yeah. yeah. And if yeah. I was a reseller, I would be like, yeah, I'd be uh, pretty excited about that. And going talking to my customers about something like that and trying to partner up right. with the with Northstar and getting yeah. that software. But anyway, yeah. that is some fantastic technology. All it made me think of is like there's some chef out there with a running around the recipe cook opening up cheesecake oh, yeah. cheesecake industry or something. I don't know, you know, like <laughs> Oh, but that's a huge <laughs> cafe. Yeah, there you <laughs> the go. Cheesecake yeah. cafe and they've got all of their recipes doing this doing this trying to do the same thing that they were doing. Huge that issue. Huge yeah. issue in the restaurant yeah. business. Yeah. 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 I'm just going to steal the secret sauce literally the yeah. secret yeah. sauce yep. recipe and go open my own down the road. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. I'll wrap up this part of the conversation with a quick couple stats here mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, we've talked mostly about restaurants, but obviously, you know, retail in general benefits mm -hmm. from POS. Well, part of that same uh, stats that I mentioned at the very beginning, it was from an article on finances online. Uh, they did a poll for a 2020 poll for North American retailers about top POS pri priorities. Number one at 59% was omni-channel capabilities integration, mm. then improve existing POS, unified e-commerce e platform, mobile POS, POS upgrade or replacement, and hardware upgrade at 30%. So that's all the top priorities right there. I feel like that's... So omni-channel's number one. Omni-channel's number one. And and again, you know, for general retail, that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like they, you know, they understand there's a huge need there to, yeah. you know, to figure out how to build the experience, the customer experience yep. of yep. shopping where you want, how you want, when you want, and having the seamless experience yep. no matter where you are. So yep. I think that's going to be one of the big trends that keeps growing. Oh, here, it so. continues on. Yeah. And yeah. even on the technology side, Jeremy, we're just going to have to have you back, man, because we, we got to dive <laughs> into some of these other topics that, that you just threw. You can't throw stats well, at the end of the I podcast just, like this, because I, I, I want to chew on that for a little I, bit. I wanted to just acknowledge the general retail, because we've <laughs> talked a lot about restaurant today, but you're right. I think we could easily go down that rabbit hole another episode too so yeah maybe it's a sneak preview for 2022 episode and, right and what's there, up with so. qr codes we need jeremy's takes on <laughs> qr codes we need we need a lot of stuff yeah anyway. i don't know if you knew it or not you may be a recurring guest now so <laughs> I, i'm happy to and uh and uh you know we, i'd love to have you on my show as well i think it'd be fun to sit and talk about uh what you guys see from uh from the other side because uh the channel is always interesting uh they're always interesting as to how they're solving it you've got some unique resellers out there i know you guys do because I get a chance to talk with them when I attend your guys' events and you guys yeah. have got some really cool people that do some really cool stuff out there to help people, uh, help people run their business better. That's awesome. Cool. The ecosystem is very important. Yep. No doubt. Yep. All right. Well, hey, before we wrap things up with our recurring segments, uh, I want to quickly thank, as always, our sponsors, Elo, Epson, Honeywell, and Zebra. Thank you very much for your support of the show. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, hey, as always, if you uh, like the show, well, like us on YouTube, subscribe to our channel. If you are listening on now on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform of your choice, if there's an option to give us a, a review, a rating of some sort, please do that. Tell a friend. Tell a friend about right. it. Yes. Sorry. You know, share an episode. Uh, and by all means, let us know what you like about the show, what you're interested in hearing about, uh, what you don't like, too. We're happy to, to take some criticism. If you, need. Yep. Uh, you can find us, as always, on Twitter at TechConnectPod. You can email us, techconnect at bluestarinc.com. Okay, let's wrap things up here. You know, the value of the VAR segment here, I feel like is kind of a, you know, a no-brainer because we, this whole thing has all been about the idea of how to differentiate right. yourself yes. and bring value. Yes, yes, But, you know, Jeremy, let's, let's, is there one or two quick, short, simple takeaways for someone who may, maybe their attention waned a little bit throughout the episode and they just want to know, like, what can I do right now? What are one or two things that you think they can do right now to stand out in the POS market? Um, I mean, to me, it's the, the biggest thing is, is understanding where your customers are at and where they're going and how do you serve their purposes before they, how do you identify a problem and, and uh, you know, um, identify a problem before they even know they have it and solve it for them 
and become the hero of the story, you know, for them um, and help them make more money. But I think way too often, and, and you, you said it earlier in, in kind of some of the dialogue is, is I think way too many bars got complacent as it relates to their customer engagement and, and they need to really understand what those customers are looking for and make sure they go out and find it. The other thing I would say to all bars is stop being so scared that somebody else is going to steal your customer. If you're delivering the value, you know, ah, it's got to be my solution. No, go partner with other people. You know, you talked about it, Dean, earlier. We've partnered with hundreds of different brands out there, but we still own the customer relationship and, and allowing them to solve the problem for the customer. You still become, you know, you might make a nickel on a dollar or 10 cents on the dollar on it, but at least you've solved this customer's problem because if you don't solve it for them, they're going to solve it for themselves. And I think as a VAR, your job is to go figure out what those things are. So stop being so scared that somebody else is going to get into your customer and, and steal them. Go solve their problem with that, you know, for them, maybe through a third party, maybe through some partnership that you've built. But um, but I think that way too many bars, when I when I listen to them talk about these things, they get scared about these things because they want to own 100% of the tech stack. They want to own 100% of the of the value value stack. And it's just not it's not realistic in these day this day and age, in my mind. I can't, man, brilliant. Boom. Yeah. Hit it out. <laughs> Nailed it, as they say. Uh, that is that is that is a great takeaway because, you know, I, again, when I went on the CBS Insight, it's like, you know, partnership is just a part of their ecosystem. Right, I love right. resellers that do that because they understand the value that is is the relationship that you have with your customer. But be a good solution provider by understanding all the things, just some of the things that we touched on here today. Uh, and, and you need to have that in your tech stack or your value stack or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the only way that you're going to get there is through partnering. You have yeah. to understand that because gone are the days of a very simple cash register with, you know, you know, whatever, you know, just an electronic cash drawer. Right, Go, right. That's gone. You have to have partners to be able to enable your customers to do all the things that they need to be able to do to stay relevant as well. Yep. Yeah, it's really good. To, to piggyback quickly on Jeremy's comment there, I think at the end of the day, you want to be the first person that people call when they have yep. a need in, yep. in, in, in whatever tech is in their environment. If you're that first person they call because they, they know you're the person that will, whether you're getting the job done yourself or you have a partner that can help them get the job done, you want to be that first call. That's how you keep that business. That's how you, mm -hmm. you get away from that mentality of, oh, I'm afraid if I introduce them to somebody, then they're going to start relying on them all the mm -hmm. time. No. When they recognize you as the person that can put them in touch with the person that they need to work with, mm -hmm. and you're all working together on a project together, that there's so much value in that that I think that's where you get past that mentality of, I got to pull all my business in and wrap my arms around it, hold it tightly, put a drawbridge and a moat around it or whatever. <laughs> no one's allowed in. It just doesn't work anymore. I'm sorry. Like yeah. we don't, we don't live in that world where you can just do it all by yourself. Drawbridges and moats are gone. That's right. <laughs> we filled them in up, the yeah. medieval era. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying he's exactly. standing up on the top of the castle wall with the, uh, you know, with an arrow with, you know, on fire <laughs> trying to shoot people down and trying to cross the, cross the, the, the bridge, huh? Exactly. We're going to pour this hot tar on That's you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get you. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, let's let's wrap up with our favorite segment. What's tech connecting with you? This is where we get to talk about something in the world of science, technology, innovation that has caught our eyes, got our attention lately. Jeremy, I'll let you start. What's tech connecting with you right now? Um, I mean, the, the, I, I alluded to it earlier in the conversation. I think this whole idea of, of cameras and how much they can do to figure out what's going on within within the world is huge. Um, you know, the technology continues to get smaller, continues to get faster. Um, understanding that and, you know, it's not just for security, it's, it's for really what's happening within human movement and, and all of those kind of things, is, I think, is, uh, is a huge piece that, uh, that I think is going to solve some problems as time goes on. I think it's going to solve that food quality problem that we talked about earlier. It's going to solve the some of the staffing issues, some of the, the even some of the, the people that might not be necessarily so efficient. I mean, when you used to do time and motion studies, you'd have somebody stand there with a stopwatch to figure out how, how long is it taking to cook this ribeye steak. I think cameras are going to be able to do that at some point and, and allow us to be more efficient as human beings, which I, I wonder at times if that's even a good thing. But uh, but I, but I do believe that that technology is really going to going to innovate and change the way that uh, that the world operates through through this camera technology. If used yeah. properly, it can. I agree mm -hmm. with you. And I think that as humanity will get there, it's not going to be this overlord, hopefully, that we see in some societies. But uh, but yes, you know, if used properly, it can do a lot of good yeah, in the I world. Agree. Yeah. Dean, what's tech connecting with you? You know, batteries. I'm going to go batteries. So here's the That's headlines. A low, low tech. <laughs> well, I, it is low tech. You're right. I mean, the batteries 
battery's been around forever, but battery technology is like uh, it's, it is it's going places. It's yes. going places, dude, and it has to. So science demonstrates new battery chemistry using copper and cellulose nanofibers with up to a hundred times more efficiency conductivity than current lithium ion batteries. So right, uh, if we're gonna nice. have any success in some of the things that we're gonna do, if you you know whether it's you want to get off the grid and have your own solar house with a battery and, and stuff like that, or whether it's you want more life on your cell phone mm-hmm. or whatever it is. I mean, batteries are in battery technology, I think is one of those things that I'm just interested in because mm-hmm. it seems to be advancing very, very quickly. And it, it appears as though they have figured out a way to use some natural fibers. By the way, some of this is tree parts, you know, fibers from trees that, that they're, they're using in this uh, when meshed with, with uh, copper to, to have this, uh, again, this battery technology that is much more efficient at conducting. Right. And it solves some of the issues that we're having with lithium ion batteries and, you know, if they overheat and and some of the the byproducts of using uh, that technology and what it what it can do. This is this is going to table that or thwart that completely. So anyway, battery technology to me continues to be interesting. I wouldn't I would imagine five, 10 years from now, it, it won't be, un, un, you know, unrealistic to have batteries that can last way longer right, and right, with right. much more power than we have today to power your house to power your phone whatever you want yeah uh and if you were you know like i said if you're one of those guys or gals that wants to get off the grid maybe you can get there with a battery powered yeah. house someday there you go i have I, I have a feeling there's one or two companies that are going to just make some serious bank right by perfecting the battery and, yep. and figuring out the next evolution of the battery. Exactly. There's, there's a couple companies out there, and I don't know who they are yet. There's a lot of them, I'm sure, vying for it. But there's going to be, I, I, like you said, give us like another decade or so, yep. and there will be some household names and batteries that we'd be surprised. Or maybe at least household within the tech industry. Or maybe Duracell buys them. I don't know. Well, but. That's true. That's a good point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the Energizer Bunny is going to buy up any of yeah. these these types yeah. of things. But I am I continue to be fascinated by battery technology. So what's tech connecting with you, my man? All right, so uh, I'm always fascinated by what's happening in the world of astronomy and what's you know uh, what's new out in space from time to time. So here's a cool headline that came across a couple days ago: Astronomers may have spotted the first known exoplanet in another galaxy. Wait, exoplanet? Well, meaning just a, a not here, right? Okay. So, meaning not not in the Milky Way, which this oh. was not something I was aware I was not aware of. But like we had not officially, and granted, we still technically haven't officially, you know, decided or, or been able to say yes, there is a planet in another planet or planets in other galaxies, galaxies. Got beyond it. the Milky Way. Okay, you know, I think people th- think about I mean, like because we've talked about. It, I think we've discovered well over like I don't know four hundred or something. Uh, I think they said it somewhere forty eight hundred. My bad, forty eight hundred planets, more than forty eight hundred in the Milky Way. In the Milky Way galaxy. Okay, got it. And you know our massive, huge, massive galaxy. But and we're just one of whatever billions exactly. of a galaxy. And there's plenty of other galaxies <laughs> out there that we're able to see, but you know we don't have quite the ability to see that closely to identify planets. Well, Right-o. the uh, scientists think they have actually identified one, and of course they've given it a fun name, MS or M five one ULS one B. It's in the it's in the Whirlpool Galaxy, as it's called, uh, and it apparently is potentially moving around a massive star and a dead star that are side by side, uh-huh. uh, that are kind of a little binary type thing. And apparently the way they do this is because of that dead star, which kind of has turned into essentially something akin to a black hole, mm-hmm. is siphoning off energy off of the big star and creating some x-rays that are given off. Ah. And we've been able, we're able to always look and see, like, you know, what's there, and we can see those x-rays that are coming off. Uh-huh. But a lot of times, apparently, these little small dead, you know, x-ray stars or whatever are giving off enough energy, but are also small enough that if something big enough can pass in front of it, there it, is. it gets blocked for a time. It's a shadow. And right, mm-hmm. and we kind of identify that happening. X-ray so shadow. Apparently that happened recently, and some folks were able to identify, like, hey, something big seemed to pass in the way in front of this this particular X-ray star and block that feed for a little for a little bit of time. Now, there's skeptics that are like, well, there's just a lot of coincidences involved in this. It right. may not really be it. Yeah, maybe but it was a dust particle. Yeah, but it's still... <laughs> You know, it's still some some good potential evidence. And, and here's the thing. I think it's safe to assume that there are other galaxies have planets as well as ours. Yeah. I mean, why would it just be our galaxy and right. no others whatsoever? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Pro- it's always been safe to assume that. But now it seems like, and this is what, 28 million light years from Earth. Oh, that my we know there's Lord. There's potentially another, oh, another planet out there. I don't see how you see that far. But okay. All right. <laughs> so, uh, so there you go. That's a good uh, one. Yeah. All right. Jeremy Julian, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on the show. Well, thank you guys for having me. Definitely. Hey, until next time, uh, get down off of your castle walls, let some people in. (laughs) 
<laughs> partner up. Yeah, partner up uh, and please stay connected. One of Elo's most popular product lines for self-service, point-of-sale, industrial control, visitor management, and more just got better with the release of the iSeries 4, the next level of awesome. Available in 10, 15, and 22-inch sizes, Elo's iSeries offers a powerful, commercial-grade interactive platform complete with full HD 10-touch display, flexible Android 10 OS, and enhanced CPU performance with your choice of Qualcomm or Rocketchip processor options. Start changing the way customers and employees interact by deploying a new generation of interactive technologies that provide seamless integration, effortless provisioning, and simplified device management via EloView or your preferred management tools. To learn more, check out the link in the show notes or contact your Blue Star Elo representative. Now more than ever, organizations are requiring sophisticated access control solutions. Evelis, the world's leading direct-to-card printer manufacturer, has solutions to fit any card-related access control scenario. Their open SDK is perfect for custom applications, and their seven different encoding options cover any card requirement in the marketplace, from basic mag encoding to complex UHF. Whether your customer's access control requirement includes contact or contactless, simple ID cards, multi-purpose cards, or something else, Evelis has you covered with their newly expanded range of self-service kiosk printers. If you're an ISV or system integrator in the access control arena, contact your Blue Star rep today to identify with Evelis. In today's hyper-competitive vertical markets, VARs face numerous challenges. From reduced IT budgets to ever-evolving digital trends and the economic impacts of disruptions to supply chain with an infrastructure supporting the broader economy, developing a strategic plan for your business has never been more daunting. Zebra offers some help with the new ebook called Burgeoning Vertical Markets, How VARs Can Capitalize in the New Normal. It identifies new and ongoing pain points and challenges within verticals like healthcare, retail, and warehousing distribution, while also revealing opportunities for significant long-term revenue. To download your copy, check out the link in the show notes or go to the techconnectportal.com, that's techconnectportal.com, and search for Vertical. Vertical.